Here we are Friday, May the 8th, and the biggest story of the day are the job numbers released this morning. They reflect the first full month of shutdowns. We are at 13% unemployment. I believe uh, the the um, number of jobs lost 2 million. So we'll be breaking that down with Rabina Ahmed-Hawk in about eight eight minutes so or so. Um, the Prime Minister is expected to comment on the jobless numbers at 11.15. But right now I want to talk about Monday, retail stores with street entrance will be able to open for curbside pickup. Obviously, this model isn't going to work for all retailers. In fact, more than 50% of small and medium businesses we know say this will not work for them. Doug Stevens has been on the show before. He's with RetailProfit.com. Doug, good to have you back. Thank you, Kelly. Great to be here. So who are the retailers facing the biggest challenges during this first step of a gradual reopening in the province? Well, frankly, all of them are facing a challenge. And, and the reason for that is that in order to even do something as simple as curbside pickup, there's sort of a minimum operating expense that a business has to incur. You know, there's sort of a minimum threshold of expenses that are required just to basically open a business and keep it running for 12 or 14 hours a day. The problem is that if your revenues are only a fraction of those costs, then you're basically losing money by being open. And if we look around at other countries that have embarked on a reopening, if we look at China, for example, there was only about 60% of normal volumes uh, in terms of revenues for retailers there. When Germany reopened stores, it was even less than that. It was about 30% of normal volumes. And unfortunately, most Canadian retailers are also not in a position to bridge the gap with online sales because their online capabilities simply aren't what they need to be. So it's going to be a very, very tough road for most retailers, especially those that don't have a good supply of cash in the bank. Yeah, and the jobless numbers came out today, and they are um, very high, to say the least. Mm-hmm. That's going to be concerning for retailers because that means that some people are going to just not spend. They're going to be pulling tighter on those purse strings. Absolutely. It's a bit of a double whammy because you have the, the health concern, obviously, which uh, you know about 60% of consumers say that even if everything were to reopen, they would still be wary about going into you know, crowded stores, uh, you know, certainly uh, uh, restaurants and things like that. Consumers are saying, no, thank you very much. I'll, I'll pass for now until there's a vaccine. So we have the health drag. But then, of course, you have this unemployment drag as well. And as long as people are concerned about their next paycheck and where that might be coming from, that's certainly going to dampen spending as well. Some established names made the headlines this week. Aldo filed for bankruptcy protection. Neiman Marcus Group, J. Crew, they are also filing for bankruptcy. Those are just a few. Were these companies already in trouble and the lockdown was the hammer that actually hit that final nail? Well, certainly Neiman Marcus has been floundering for years. It's, it's a company that's been carrying a lot of debt. Its brand equity has been, um, you know, marginalizing over time. And it's in a bad channel. Department stores have been a really, really tough channel uh, for, for many years. So no surprises there. J. Crew, uh, an, again, another brand that was saddled with a lot of private equity debt. Uh, had had tried for for years really to try and resurrect the brand uh, to not much avail. So no no surprises on that front either. Aldo, I will say, was was a bit of a surprise to me. I was surprised to see a brand like Aldo with three thousand stores globally and and a relatively strong brand. Uh, 
you know, file for bankruptcy. And, and uh, I think, if anything, it demonstrates just how many retailers are sort of walking the razor's edge right now. And we may assume that they're, you know, that they're in good shape, they're robust, they've got the cash to make it through this sort of a crisis. But clearly, there are going to be some surprises along the way. So we're assuming this, I'm, gu- I'm guessing, based on that name recognition. Aldo's one of those stores I can't remember not being around. Is the writing on the wall for the death of malls now? Well, I think the writing is certainly on, on the wall for the reinvention of malls. You know, there has to be a big rethink around um, the whole concept of what a mall is, why a consumer would want to go there. Because, you know, what we're facing, even when we come out of this pandemic and, and we get to the point where there is a viable and widely available vaccine, you're going to have consumers, I think, for, for years going forward that are now going to be saying to themselves, do I really need to go to the store for this? You know, do I really need to go to the mall or is this something that I could just order online? And what's happened here is that over the course of this pandemic, consumers that may have never ordered certain things online are now saying, well, I have no choice. You know, I'm going to have to order my groceries or I'm going to have to order a pair of shoes online. And along the way, those coping behaviors become embedded behaviors. The longer this crisis persists, the more comfortable people get with not going to the store. So malls really have to rethink the whole equation and say to themselves, look, if people are going to be coming to the mall less to shop, what might get them to come to the mall? Is it more kind of live events? Is it more food? Is it more entertainment? So I think there's going to be a big rethink. Along the way, however, it's also fair to say that we're going to see a lot of failures in in that sector of the economy as well. A lot of the regional malls that have been kind of clinging to survival, uh, this this could indeed be the, the final nail in the coffin. I don't know about you, Doug, but I will, I can't see myself going into a clothing store and trying something on, pulling a shirt confidently over my head and not thinking, who touched this? Who had this on before me? It, it never entered my mind before. I think that is uh, that there uh, really speaks to, and I'm sure I'm not alone on this, how people are going to think after this pandemic. Is it if we did turn to a model where you shop online, one of my problems with shopping online for clothes is, you know, you can't try them on before you get them. Is it still going to be worth it to stores to exist? Like if they're not if they don't have a physical store where you can try something on and I send something back and they can't resell that, are they actually going to be ahead when it comes to affordability? Because they don't have those stores to pay for to heat, to light, to staff the same way. Yeah, I, I mean, look, we've been saying uh, at Retail Profit, we've been saying for years now that ultimately we are going to live in a world where most of the things we buy, the actual purchase is conducted online. Stores will still be viable, but not necessarily just as a means of distribution of product, because what we've, if we've learned anything through this pandemic, it's that physical stores are maybe not the most efficient means of distributing products to the public. So that raises the question, well, is a physical store still relevant? And I believe they are, but more from a branding standpoint, more from the, the capacity to give the consumer a sense of what is this brand all about? What are their styles like? What's their corporate culture like? So they can be sort of brand outposts, almost a form of media, if you will. But most of our purchasing is going to happen 
online in the fullness of time because it's just simply that much more efficient and convenient. And, and to your point, yes, it, raise, it lowers costs because so much of the cost of what we're buying is attributed to maintaining those physical assets in the marketplace and all of those payrolls that are associated with stores. So we could see a very, very different looking retail landscape when we emerge from this. And to your point about trying things on, I mean, this is really the the ultimate point here is that until there is a widely available and proven vaccine and most of the public has been inoculated, we simply cannot see a return to full retail levels. And that's going to be a real drag for some retailers. Okay, so how damaging is it to the employment numbers when one of these major established brands calls it a day? Well, it's it's devastating. Um, you know, let's not forget that retail is the largest employer in the country. In fact, it's the largest employer in North America as an industry. So you have, uh, you know, tremendous numbers of people that are engaged in the retail industry, uh, tremendous numbers of people whose jobs are now potentially at risk. And let's not forget, too, that many of the people that work in the retail industry are not people that have six months' worth of living expenses in the bank. Uh, You know, most Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck. And I I think the last figures I saw said that, you know, in the case of an emergency, most Canadians don't have even, you know, $1,000 or $2,000 in the bank to rely on. So it's a vulnerable population. And, um, you know, COVID-19 is just, uh, uh, it's not leaving anything in its wake. It's really literally attacking every profession, every vertical, every category.